Today's Old Testament reading is Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you... The anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Wasn't it a joy to uh, hear the children sing and to participate? I think uh, that is one of the great heritages that we have here at IPC is the fact that the church family is made up not just of many international and uh, peoples as well as coming from many cultures and places. Uh, It's also made up of many age groups from older but even to children. And uh, please, whatever you do, do not think of church as adults, 
and kids belong somewhere else because really children are a key part of church. And uh, I want to thank all of the families who made the effort to bring their kids to church. It's easier to sit at home or play with them outside, I know, but I just want to say thank you and also to affirm the fact that you've made an excellent choice. Uh, it is one of the ways we teach children to grow and understand who God is as well as to grow up. You know, one of the things that, or grow up as we would hope that they do, life sometimes gets messy and it doesn't always work the way one would wish. But I do remember one of my friends who worked a lot with children, they said they had done studies and one of the things they showed was that for a child to take what he, is being, he or she is being taught uh, from church, from Christian parents or whomever, and to see that process to become part of themselves, to become reality for themselves, of course, first and foremost, that is a work of God's spirit and God becoming real to them and them experiencing the truth of a living God. But also in it, it said that they normally or it is helpful, almost exclusively helpful, if they have at least three different persons in their lives. One is they have a friend who also believes similarly. A Christian friend, somebody who really knows it's true. Two, they have a parent or grandparent in whom it is really true. And they know the way that parent or the way that grandparent lives their life is because of the reality of God and their faith. And the third one, which was quite a surprise to me, is they say they need to see the reality of God in another adult life. That's one of the reasons church is so very important. And uh, getting your children involved. Now, by the time I get done with my message, I will have wished I wouldn't have said that, but I think I needed to thank you, parents, for bringing your children. And welcome to all of you who are on Zoom listening to us today. We're going to continue today in our First John study. And actually, we're coming now to a point in First John where he is going to not just give us the central thing of everything he's teaching, um, you know, if you study Hebrew or literature written in that kind of mindset that John is writing very frequently, you will find that he begins with some very important things and then he builds in importance. But often the most important thing in the writing is right at the center. And then it begins to fade off as he moves or repeats. But John is going to talk to us today about living in today's world. And he's going to use terms like antichrist and believing in Jesus. And he's going to bring us to the fact that that is the center of his focus. Because, you know, he's talked to us about God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then he's contrasted what it means to live with a God who is light. This idea of the light of God that reveals God to us, but it also exposes that which is not from God. And he talks about having fellowship with God. 
And the way he explains that word fellowship, it's that owning or having in common together, participating in something together. And what he's going to say is eternal life is participating, owning, being a part of the very eternal life of God himself. This being forgiven and cleansed. And then God in the person of his spirit, as Jesus prays, Father, you are in me and I am in you and we will be in them. And then he goes on and talks to us about what it means to walk with God. And first he gave to us ideas that we are going to face and confront within our heart, our soul, our innermost person. Remember, he talked to us about the very simple fact that if you obey my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will not walk in darkness, but walk in light. And internally, that is a choice we need to make. The choice of the will. Will we obey? Will we follow? Will we keep his commandments? And then he moved us quickly to another inner challenge, something that from our heart, from our soul, from our will, will we love the brothers? Will we choose to do that? You see, and in both cases, these are things that need not just, we have a strong will and we say, yes, I do this, but it also takes a work of God. And as we go deeper into 1 John, eventually he'll bring us to the point of the very expression of the love of God is in this world today is to see God's love transforming you and me until we begin to act and function like we belong to the family of God. A few months ago, well actually it's almost, it's a couple of years ago now, my wife posted to Facebook a famous picture of three generations of the Wright family. It was me, my son, and my grandson. And we looked a lot alike. I have no hair. My son was losing all of his hair. And our grandson was too young to have hair. There was a family, an unmistakable family resemblance. And what God wants is that in you and me, from the depth of our souls, there's an unmistakable likeness to God our Father and Jesus our Savior and God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That the world would see and say yes. He, she, belongs to him. And so John, as he writes, he says, there are these things where we learn to love one another, where we learn to obey from the inside. And then he says, there are those challenges as we walk in Christian life and with God that come from externally or from the outside. And he says, one of those is we're going to learn how to not love the world, as it begins to tempt us, it begins to move and become against us and against God, and we need to learn to recognize that which is of God and that which is not. That's coming from the outside. And today he's going to talk about a second thing that comes from the outside, and that is false teachings or antichrist. 
Now let's look at these verses. Verses 18, 19, right down to 27. And I think what I will do is take two verses at a time. Verse 18 and 19, it says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Now let's just pause with that phrase. What he's talking about there, in the next phrase he's going to say, there are many Antichrists now. So note, there's a distinction. What he's saying is the end is coming, and there's a great Antichrist coming. Well, let me just read for you one of those descriptions. There are many descriptions of that, of course, as we go through the Bible. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let me read this to you here. It says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he rules his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Then he goes on to say, don't forget, I reminded you, I taught you about those things. Or you could go to the book of Daniel, and Daniel will write there about a time that is coming where there is this incredible power that will rule the earth, and will move people away from God, and will proclaim themselves as taking the position of God. Or in the book of Revelation, once you get into chapter 13 and onward through 1819, you will find that there are these forces of evil which come. And eventually the concept of evil is to take the place that belongs to God, that all people worship him and have no way to live without him. Or Jesus would say in Matthew 24, 24, and that day is coming when that evil will come and if will try to deceive and pull away anyone. That's what we're headed towards in the history of mankind. There is a coming of an end. And John begins by saying, and that's coming. But to show us that we are also still living in the last days, in that sense, the last hour, the last day, is that moment from what we celebrate as Christmas, when God came, as we read from Isaiah, and there will be born unto you a child, there will be given to you a son. Or he says earlier in Isaiah, a virgin will give birth, and you will call his name Emmanuel, because he is God with us from that moment of time. There is a beginning of the end. There is a no going back. And he says we're going to be leading to that. Then he goes on and says, and then to even be more explicit, he says, and now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. And you see, an antichrist, maybe just to, eventually he's going to define antichrist. In about two or three verses. But an antichrist is everything that is against who Jesus is. Or is trying to replace Jesus with something from his own or her own teaching or person. 
And we could have many examples of that. But let's just look at what else he says here in his scripture. He says, many have come. You might say, well, that's not in the 2000s. I mean, here in Switzerland, didn't you? While we were in Austria, I remember you had the light people who went to the top of the mountains here. I remember Austria covered the news and waited because the end was there. In the Ukraine, we had the White Brotherhood, who the police eventually stopped. They were going to come in and mass with buses and trains. And their person, which they called their Christ, a lady who believed that she was a reincarnation of Jesus Christ, was going to have her followers crucify her because she believed on the third day she would rise from the dead. And the Ukrainian government was so concerned, they actually stopped the trains and the buses from coming to Kiev. But those are only maybe the dramatic ones. There are others who are saying, no, 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 this thing about Jesus, ah, he was just a nice moral teacher. It's a good idea. But the reality of him living and the reality of him dying, and the reality of him coming back to life. You see, that's why John began. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I have touched him. I have heard him. I have seen him before he died on the Mount of Transfiguration, and I have seen him and spoken to him after he's risen from the dead. He's real. And so he goes on as he writes here, and he begins and says something to them. Let me just read to you verse 20. And he says there, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because the lie is not truth. So he says one of the proofs of this end time and that we're living in that period moving to when Jesus will come again is the very simple fact that, that sometimes people move away. That people come to this and look straight in the face of what is going on and say, no, I choose not to follow Christ. I choose not to follow God. And they move another direction. This morning, Lois was reading to me a little headline which says, and of course, this is in the States, and the States is an unusual situation for any nation, but their two denominations are in the process of dividing to those who believe God and the Bible and those who do not believe God and the Bible. It's an interesting time, but while Paul would write in saying, that just simply proves that we are moving in the last hour. And then he goes on and says, but for you, you see, he's saying immediately, he says, this is what is going to happen. But for you who believe and have experienced God, it's different for those of you who are in the family of God. And what does he say to them? He says, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have knowledge. And so what does he mean by that? You have been anointed by the Holy One and you have knowledge. Well, that means when we repent of our sins and God forgives us, and he cleanses us, and he takes away our guilt, he also comes and lives inside of us. He in our lives, we are in God, and God is in us. There's a reality of God. 
And he says that you have received an anointing, that spirit of God which comes. Listen to him as he speaks about it in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither it sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. The words of Jesus himself. And then Paul goes on in that next verse and he says, part of that being filled or being having the presence of God in you, the spirit in you, is that the spirit will reveal to you truth. And you will know inside, there will be that sense inside true. I know this is not right or I know this is wrong, and because God reveals truth. Now, that doesn't mean, as far as I understand, that God is going to give to you something that isn't or outside of his Bible, because he has revealed truth in his Bible. He's not going to give you something that, well, you go out and... I had a person came to me and said, I think God just spoke to me. And then he said something that was clearly sin. And in that case, he said, you know, God is, well, if I give the illustration, you won't remember the Bible verse, you'll only remember the illustration. But it's serious stuff. And sometimes we don't get it all right as we learn and as God's Spirit is teaching us. You know, um, I had a very dear friend who was uh, from the Stuttgart area, who was a Schwab. And as I was learning German, trying to figure out Austrian German, I had visited with him. And one day he said, Dennis, du bist aber eine grüne Schnabel. And I said, boy. And so I'm translating this in my mind, see. Dennis, you've got a green nose. Or a green bill. And I thought, do I look that bad? You see... What he meant was, you're a tenderfoot or you just don't have any experience in this area. And sometimes, and you'll find it, I'm sure, as you live and function in a multicultural society, sometimes what we look at, the words and the meanings are different. And I would say as God's spirit begins to teach us, we need to begin to understand the meaning. What is God saying to us? And what John is pointing out is one of the functions, one of the works of God's Holy Spirit in our life is to teach us truth and to help us recognize what is truth. I do not write this to you because you do not know the truth. You do know the truth. But then he goes on to say, and I want to tell you the application is a lie is not the truth. Remember a few verses ago he wrote and said those who start to believe the lie or they're told the lie eventually believe it is a lie and they live in a lie. And so he has said that to us and he's pointed those things out to us that we might know. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, not only do I write you that reason that you know what is truth. And you see, that's where the choice of will comes. 
when we know what's true, we need to choose what is true and follow God. Because then, the next verses, he actually describes or defines who the Antichrist is, and he brings it out of the end of verse 21, which compares and says, no lie is of the truth. Then in verse 22, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Then listen to the application. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So ultimately, he's going to come down to this one incredible main teaching of the Christian faith. And that main teaching is, is that Jesus is the Christ. What does it mean he is the Christ? The Christ literally is the anointed one or the one promised of God. Remember as he spoke to Eve right after the fall when he judged sin and he said, from you, from this woman, will come one descendant who will crush the head of evil. And then he goes on as he read about from Isaiah and said, there is one coming who will save his people. There's a Redeemer, there's a Christ. And so what John is writing to us, he says, anytime someone comes and says or teaches that this Jesus is not the way to salvation, that this Jesus is not really God, he said that teaching is what I would call, he calls Antichrist. It is that teaching which draws away from or pulls away from Christ or says Christ is not really God. And why is this important? The next verse tells us, doesn't it? The application, he says, because if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And if you confess the Son, you have the Father. If I understand that, what he's saying is the only way to a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other. A person can say, well, I, 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 I like all this stuff and I'm going to be a good person and I'll have my own relationship with Christ or with God, but I, this Jesus thing, no, 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 no. And what John is coming back and saying, I love you deeply and I want to explain to you that there is no other way. Jesus said it, didn't he? In John chapter 14, verse 6, as his disciples are saying, He's saying to them, I'm going to you to a place which you don't know how to go. And he comes back to the disciples and says, well, Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then he'll go on and explain, because Philip comes and says, well, Lord, just show us the Father. And he'll say, well, Philip, how long have I been with you? If you have seen me, if you know me, then you've seen the Father. You see, what John is writing to us here is he's saying there is no other way. Well, some might say, well, that's not very tolerant. That's not very nice. Oh, I want to tell you for a moment. You have to consider this. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the idea of propitiation where God sent his son here and is the love of God defined or described or proclaimed that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son to die for us. You see, we serve a holy God. The Nexus group this last week was just talking about the righteousness of God. 
And uh, my thought about the righteousness of God as we started to discuss that was that John says God is light and God is love. And where those two come together is the very righteousness of God. The rightness and yet the holiness and yet the love. And because he's a holy God, the reality all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How does a holy God have fellowship with a sinner? Because sin, you see, is wrong. Sin makes us end up apart from God for all of eternity. And if sin wasn't serious, why did God in the person of Jesus Christ come and die? It's because God, as we talked about propitiation, it's the same word in Hebrew that is used for the mercy seat, the top of the, the covenant, box of covenant, or what do you call it, the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the holy of holy place. And was the important thing about that is God said, when you sprinkle the blood where the blood is on top of the seat, the mercy seat, there I will meet with you. You see, the holy God, who is holy and righteous, he says, the place I meet with men is where the blood is applied. There is no other place where God, who is holy, meets with man and accepts him and forgives him and cleanses him and he brings that person into his family. And so John has said, if you have the Son, you have the Father. If you say no to the Son, you neither have the Father either. And that's not exclusiveness. Because it is the absolute love of God. Sometimes in my former church, people came to me and said, Pastor, that doesn't really make sense to me. How can God be loving and like that? If you say this is it, oh, you see, this is a God who's holy, who's pure, who's love, who's all of this. And the question isn't, why is there only one way? The amazing truth is God made a way for all of us. He said, John says earlier, he is the propitiation for our sins, yours and mine, and the sin of the whole world. Like when the people were questioning Jesus about the fairness of God, remember they said there was this tower in Siloam which fell and killed five people. Why did it kill those five? That was not fair. And of course, that's not the right question, isn't it? The question is, if it was going to be fair, why didn't it fall on everyone? That would have been fair. All have sinned. But the fairness, the love of God is that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ came and paid the price. He took all of our guilt on the cross. And so John says that amazing truth. But then he goes on, he says to him that not only is that the truth, but he says, but let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you, and if you've heard or the word of God that has come to you abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. You know, he makes that contrast. He says, if a person chooses not to accept the Son, then they have actually no relationship with the Father either. But if you confess the Son, we have the relationship with the Father as well. And then he goes on and he explains this. Not only is that true, but he says, what you've heard before... You know, in the first verses he said the, the thing that God has given to us to help us is the God, the Holy Spirit, lives in those who know God. And he shows us what is true. And he helps us recognize that and gives us the strength to adapt and follow what is truth. And here he says also another strength is that which you have heard, that which has been read to us, that which has been taught to us, and God has put together in his Bible. 
And that is if we understand that and we allow that and we abide in that, he says, if that abides in you, what will happen is, he said, as the truth is, if we understand that Jesus has come, Jesus has died, God loves us, and he waits for us, just as he said earlier, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if that abides in you, the great truth is that you abide in the Son and in the Father. What a tremendous encouragement. Wow. And then he goes on and just kind of gives a summary. It says, I write these things to you because there are some who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing you receive from him abides in you. You have no need to be taught because the anointing teaches you about everything. And it is true. It is not a lie. Just as it's taught you, abide in him. I'm just going to end today by telling you a or just asking you a question first. The question comes is, are we abiding? That means you and me. Are we abiding in God? And we know that God's spirit is abiding in us. And the way we will know what John says is when we come to a question about truth or lie, the spirit of God will prompt us to what is truth. In John chapter 13, I think we have one of the greatest examples of someone missing this. Of course, John 13 deals with Jesus washing the disciples' feet of them eating the final Passover, the Lord's Supper. But as you get to the two-thirds of the way through, Jesus says just kind of simply in the middle of it all, one of you is going to betray me. And then Peter who knows John seems to have a better relationship, says, hey, John, ask him who it is. That's a right prayer phrase. Look, read it this afternoon. It's better in the original. And Jesus replies, and he says, it is, he is the one to whom I give the sopper. And that means they take a piece of bread, and like if you go to some restaurants, they'll give you oil and balsamic vinegar, or whatever it is, and you... You put it in there, that's what they call a sop. What the Bible doesn't tell us in historians' will is that when you had a Passover feast, the person who was leading it or hosting it, in this case Jesus, would do this sometime in the ceremony, would take and dump it into that oil or whatever they had. And they would turn and they would offer that and they would offer it to the person whom they wanted to be their friend. And here you have God in the person of Jesus Christ. To the person, and I don't know how you're going to put this together theologically, but it is accurate historically. That he took this and he offered to, to Judas that night this opportunity of, do you want to reconsider? Do you really want to leave God? And it says there, the way it is written is so amazing. It says he took and he ate the sop. And then he left. And there's one little sentence. It was night. You see, if we take all that God has offered and we say no to God, 
There is nothing left but darkness. And John is writing to us and saying, oh, but wait, there is this anointing from God. And if he who confesses the Son has the Father also. For God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I would just pray with you and ask if there's anyone here today who, as you've listened to these verses, you've looked for a millisecond into your soul, and you're not certain that you have really confessed or trusted the Son because you don't see a relationship with the Father, then this would be a very good moment for you in faith and in response as we sing this next hymn to open the doors of your heart and ask God to become real for you. It's a simple thing, but it's incredibly profound. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, and thank you for blessing us with your presence. And thank you, Lord, even though the, we live in a time that is filled with challenges, and we see many who do not want to confess you as Lord, do not want to acknowledge you as God, and yet, Lord, for each one of us who do, you, Lord, equip us with your words, you f equip us with your spirit who leads us into truth, and I pray for each person who's here today and for those listening on Zoom that, Lord, you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, will be leading us to truth, that we see it, we acknowledge it, and most of all, Lord, we rejoice with you. Lord, because we know the truth of Jesus is real, because he has come and he has died, and he has risen from the dead, he's taken the guilt of our sin and you have shown that you have accepted that substitute sacrifice by the very fact that he is risen and alive today. And just as John says, there is coming the end. And the only way we prepare for that, Lord, is to know you as Lord and Savior of our lives. So we worship you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.